Since the year 2000, Ryan Wildstar and Ryan Elston have been traveling the world, celebrating the most extraordinary people, places, books, art, music, food, wine, and cultures. To quote Joseph Campbell, the aesthetic experience is a simple beholding of the object. You experience a radiance. You are held in aesthetic arrest. You are listening to aesthetic arrest. Welcome to the Epicurean Vagabond. With your host, Ryan. And Ryan. And we are back with our Aesthetic Rest podcast, Supernova Era, Searsku, Serousier, Billy Tipton, and Lady Blackbird. Plus, Iris Murdoch, Roa, The Lost King, and Boxidized Orange Wine. Ooh. Whatever could that be? Cheers to that. Cheers. We'll find out. Cheers. So, as always, we will be discussing our reading, listening, looking, viewing, and tasting recommendations for the week. Indeed, indeed, so, indeed. Ryan Wildstar, lead us off. What is your reading recommendation this week? Um, well, actually, I am reading something that one of our subscribers recommended. Um, so, it is called Supernova Era. And the author, I'm going to let you pronounce because you're the Chinese teacher. <laughs> no, no. I'm an English teacher <laughs> well, who I, teaches Chinese students. I don't want to butcher his name. so <laughs> I will still probably butcher his name. But okay, my, but you'll do better I than I will say my Chinese students say my uh, Chinese pronunciation is actually quite good. But um, when it comes to names, uh, anyway, I believe his name is, is pronounced Liu Xixin. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's what I'm reading. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. famously, um, yes. Yeah, so I, I um, am reading an, an older book. Uh, you actually recommended him years ago. Yeah, and... years ago I read his, his, uh, his really famous book, The Three Body Problem, right. which uh, won the Hugo Award back in 2015. And it's a series, part of a series, right? It's a trilogy. Okay, a trilogy, yeah. okay. Which I, so I, I hadn't read that. Your mom, I know, read that. Yeah, that, and that, one, that one's even like on school curricula in right. China. It's a, it's, a big, it's a big deal. Well, here's the funny thing. So when we got to this apartment here in Tirana, on one of the shelves here was the supernova era just slaying there. And yeah. we've had it this whole time. And then um, one of our subscribers recommended um, to read uh, this author. And I was like, oh, you know what? It's right there. So I started reading Supernova Era this week, and oh my gods, it's so good. So tell me about I don't know this one at all. It's one of his first books, It's from right? two, 2003, mm-hmm. and again, it's very science fiction, but wow, is he ahead of the curve. It's, it's, uh, it's intense. So it starts out basically... Um, that there's a classroom in the the preface there's a classroom in China and the mm-hmm. teacher is sitting with her 43 students Ooh. and they're all her you know top students mm-hmm. and she's sitting with them and it's the last time they will ever be in school oh. and we don't know why exactly that's the preface and that's already and ominous it's ominous and they're all 13 year old students okay so then the book starts and the first line after the preface is the end and the story is that a, a star, a dead star, that's been hidden um, behind this giant cloud of ice, basically, mm-hmm. a, okay. a, a cloud that's, that's, that's obscured this star for billions of years. Okay. It's been there, um, and it's huge. It's like 23 million times bigger than the sun. Okay. It's enormous, okay. but no one ever saw it because it's been hidden. It's dead. Uh-huh. Okay. And um, now the cloud moves 
and all this, uh, the star, all this radiation. Oh, because the star's gone nova, supernova. It's gone supernova. Oh. And so all of a sudden, it blasts. It's only eight light years away from the Earth. Oh. So all of a sudden, this blast comes pouring into the Earth's atmosphere, right? Oh. And the, the premise is that um, it's damaging... So immediately around the world, chromosomes and the human cells are become damaged by this high energy rays. But they find out that only children 13 and under can repair the damage. Oh. So everyone's going to die except those who are 13 and under. Ooh, what a premise. Yeah. And so then they know this. And it's going to take like 10 months and they're all going to be dead. All Every adult on the wow. planet is going to be dead. So they start training the children all over the world. And this one is in China. The, wow. This takes place in China. Mm -hmm. But they start training. Every government starts training the children to take over the world, all the functions, nuclear power plants, oh, uh, right. you name it. They've got to take over. They've got to learn within 10 months how to take over the world. So oh, that's this, amazing. Right. This is the premise. So I'm just like, look, my hair is standing oh. up when I'm talking about it. Like my the I hair mean, on my arm is standing I, I, up. As it's a writer, so good. I, I vote, like I said, I've only read The Three Body Problem, which I love. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. could not put it down. It was so good. Which I'm now I want to read next. And this sounds amazing. Well, it, what's interesting, too, is that... Um, the writing is very scientific, mm -hmm. so he he is he's he, proper hard science. Oh yeah, uh, it's science it's writer. believable. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. and then there's like reports, uh, reporters talking to scientists, and oh. it's I can't give any more away, but I uh, yeah, um, it's engrossing, absolutely engrossing. Highly recommend for any um, sci-fi geeks out there, sci-fi readers, um, check it out. Yeah. Um, Ooh, I want to check it out too. So that's what I am uh, recommending this week. What about you? Well, I am, uh, I just finished um, a another novel because I've read <laughs> many of her novels and I think you've actually read even more of her novels than I have. I think between your uh, mom and I, we've read almost every Asper novel. So, so the, the author who I love and who literally is kind of like yeah. my my comfort reading yes. is the novelist and philosopher uh, Iris Murdoch. Oh my God! Who, cheers, cheers to we, that. I mean, we basically cheers I, to Iris. We love Iris Murdoch. Uh, I worship. Mean, I mean, I like I said, like you said, I think I've read, read almost everything she ever wrote. Well, she wrote uh, twenty six novels. I think I've read them all. I think you've read most of them. Yeah, almost all of them. I've read. Sure. I've read well over half of them. I mean, she's one of those authors that I I I, I want to read everything. Like yeah. I just I went down the rabbit hole with her. Mm -hmm. I, I I well talk about this book because well, so I mean, for those. Uh, who don't know Iris Murdoch because I don't know how well known she is outside of the UK, mm. um, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, but she was a British uh, writer, actually um, born in, in Dublin. Her parents yeah, were Irish. Uh, Irish Protestants. Right. Uh, but but raised in, in the UK and, and grew up in the UK. And she's really interesting as a novelist because she was first and foremost a philosopher. Right. And she studied philosophy at Oxford and Cambridge. She taught philosophy mm -hmm. for years at Oxford. At Oxford. And she wrote books on Plato and existentialism and ethics I and love metaphysics. All her essays and, I mean, are, yeah. she's an amazing, she's actually really important as a philosopher. Yeah. But she's mostly known for these 26 novels, which <laughs> I like to describe them as soap operas for intellectuals. Yes. Because, I can see that. Because they're. It, it's funny, they, they almost all have the same rotating cast of characters, yes. but each book is utterly different. Right. And so each book, uh, and, I, and like I said, I've read, I've read 
Oh, yeah, you've I've read, read a lot of them, too. I've read over half of them. Oh, you, yeah, you've yeah. read most of them. Yeah. Sure. I think my mom's read them all. I think so, too. Um, but of the ones I've read, uh, she kind of has this cast where there's a circle of friends, family, who tend... Many, most of the people in the circle tend to be intellectuals. Right. They, they tend to be philosophers, artists, writers, uh, theater people. And there's always intrigue amongst and them. There's always this soap opera like intrigue <laughs> right. where you've got uh, people falling in love, changing partners, mm-hmm. uh, having affairs. So it's it's very soap opera. I mean, it's really it's a soap heightened. opera. But she writes through this lens of deep symbolism and philosophy and these these philosophical asides. Yeah. Uh, combined with this um, grasp of human psychology oh, that is so true, possibly unrivaled. I actually, uh, the great uh, uh, critic Harold Bloom, uh, that's actually where I first saw her mm. works recommended was in one of his books, uh, Genius. And he, he mentioned uh, that Iris Murdoch has the ability to write about people falling in love. And it's so catastrophic and disastrous <laughs> and, and believable, true. though. It's, it's so believable. Absolutely true. So this book is called A Fairly Honorable Defeat. Mm. Um, I think it's kind of midway. I think it's actually the 13th book in her it's career. A, so that's it's a juicy right one. Midway in, yeah. her, in, her, in her career. Yeah. And um, it's, yeah, you've got a circle of friends and family. Uh, the center of the circle are Rupert and Hilda. Who are they've been? They're celebrating their twentieth wedding anniversary, and everyone sees them as the happy, perfect couple. Mm-hmm. And starting with the happy, perfect couple, <laughs> uh, everything just goes haywire yeah, from yeah, there. Yeah. And classic yeah, Iris, classic Iris Murdoch. You've got um, oh, my favorite characters, Simon and Axel, are a gay couple. Oh right, who are just delightful. And, um, of course, Simon is Rupert's brother. Axel and Rupert worked together and also went to Oxford and studied philosophy together, which is where they met the third main character, Julius. Oh, who was great. Who was working for some sort of... He was basically working for some... Weapons or military company creating uh, like bio weapons. He's like a bio engineer or something, and he's left the job. And they're hoping it's because uh, he he ethically had problems with what he was right, doing. Right. But it turns out he's got all this money and he's out to cause chaos. Right. He's the chaos. There's always one chaos. There's agent. always one character that's kind of mysterious yeah. and and he sometimes a shamanic character. Exactly. And he has recently had an affair with Hilda's sister Morgan, <laughs> who left her husband, who is writing a book on Marx and is an activist and he's living with their son who's just dropped out of Cambridge and anyway they're all entwined and literally I mean it's like days of our lives for uh, philosophy uh, uh, majors (laughs) that's what I was going to say because it reads like or you it reads it's a page turner I mean I don't want to I don't want to make it sound like it's not an absolutely spellbinding page turner because it is but her character studies that's what she develops her character and how one person with just kind of he's in a mood to cause chaos can destroy what he can do to these people's lives by just so good you you gotta read it I'm not gonna give it away anymore no no and and, I mean Iris Murdoch it really it's what we've said many times her books should be films yes like 
she writes often, and this book, like you said, is almost all dialogue. So yeah, exactly. why, why someone should turn her books into films? I want every one of her books yeah. to be a film because they're they they have almost like that Agatha Christie exactly element where they're just what's going to happen because there's part mystery to it too. It's so about yes, part exactly, mystery. You exactly. know, you want to know what's going to happen exactly. Here. And unfortunately, the only film. Uh, but it's a great one. Is there is the film Iris, which oh, we also have to recommend. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god! Um, uh, it's starring biopic. Uh, it's a biopic about Iris Murdoch yeah. and her relationship with her husband, which was really interesting and complicated because yeah. um, they were together for years. They absolutely adored each other, but she she yeah. had constant affairs yeah, with, yeah, right. with men and women, <laughs> right? <laughs> and uh, he was loyal to her. Yeah. And then, sadly, at the end of her life, oh. she developed Alzheimer's, yeah. but kept writing. She wrote, like, three books with Alzheimer's. And those books... She didn't recognize him, but she was still writing her books. And and, and some of those books are, are some of my favorite oh, books me that too. she ever wrote. The me Green too. Knight, Oh, The Green Knight is and one of my favorites. She had Alzheimer's and was writing these novels that yeah. are incredible. So, no, definitely. So, that movie with Judy Dench, Judy, starring Judy Dench as Iris Murdoch. Judy Dench plays Iris Murdoch. Uh, yeah, what... Uh, uh, Judy Dench is... One of my favorite actresses who's ever lived. Cheers to that. And so check out the film uh, Iris. Sure. It's so good. Uh, Judy Dench, uh, Jim Broadbent, also Kate Winslet, and um, a young Hugh Bonneville from oh, Abbey. It's so good. That film is brilliant. It's so good, and, and it just it gives you a little background about her and her life. So it's, it's, it's exactly you, yeah. you get a sense of of who she was. Yeah. Um, which is also why I have to recommend. Um, Ryan Wildstar, you wrote a beautiful poem oh that you my. turned into with, <laughs> with uh, your musical partner Jason turned into a beautiful Jason Touchstone. Yes, Jason Touchstone uh, turned into a beautiful song called "The Green Ghost," uh, well, which is your tribute to Iris Murdoch, it and is. it's one of it's actually one of my favorite songs you've ever recorded. Oh, thank you. Um, your your voice is just heavenly in thank this you. song, thank you. and so I link to the song on Bandcamp where it can also be purchased. Thank you. Uh, the Thanks album, for the plug. We the need album it. can be purchased, but uh, honestly, I, I I know you don't always want to talk about your work, but this is this is one of my favorite songs you've ever written. It's a beautiful poem, and it's such a beautiful tribute to Iris Murdoch. It is. It's a thank you. I appreciate that. Cheers. So cheers to you. Cheers to cheers to me. <laughs> so what about your? I can talk about myself all day long. Well, don't get don't get cute, confused here. Speaking of listening, um, that song was on my listening this week because of uh, Iris Murdoch. But what's your listening? Ah, well, a new album that just came out um, this this year um, from uh, a band. Well, not really a band. It's it's one person. It's yeah. Kennedy Ashlyn. Oh. Um, and the band, the, the name uh, that she's using right now is called, it's it's S-R-S-Q, but it's pronounced Seer, like a seer, and Skew. Seer Skew. Seer Skew. And she is from another band um, um, called uh, Them or Us Too, which oh, we love. love. Them or Us Too. And yes, her musical partner, oh. um, Cash Askew. Oh, um, can we cheers to Cash? Yes, sadly died. Um, way too soon. 22 years old. Uh, oh. She died in the um, ghost ship fire in San Francisco in 2016. So. And they had just tragic. started their musical career. They had uh, one album out. 
Um, they, her, well, and Cash, Kennedy's, Cash was Kennedy amazing. is the singer. Mm-hmm. Cash and Kennedy both wrote the music. Uh, Cash was a guitarist. Their songs, they got compared to Cocteau Twins mm-hmm. and um, very goth bands, Joy mm-hmm. Division, Kate Bush, even they compared her yeah, to. Yeah. She has a multi octave range, mm-hmm. Kennedy. And when Cash died, so sad. Right. She released the second album from Them or Us 2. Um, and then that was over, obviously, yeah. that that was the last of the material they had written together. Mm-hmm. And so then um, she released another album under the um, Sears Q, um, and it's just her. Mm-hmm. Her voice is multi octave range. It's all her compositions. Uh, the first album's very heavy. Mm-hmm. It's very much a dedication. Grief. Grief, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. In fact, she called, they said, well, how do you describe your music? And she called it Grief Wave. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> but this album um, is really different. Yeah. I There's a, there's a, a different voice uh, mm-hmm. spirit there. Her mm-hmm. voice is... Oh. On I mean, point. I the mean, soaring vocals that oh. we literally that we worship in people like Elizabeth Fraser. Oh, she has uh, Lisa Gerard from Dead Can Dance. Like yeah. she has that range. Oh yeah, and and I think I just love this album. I loved every track. Um, the the clip I uh, posted is a video. Um, called Used to Love. Oh, I'm obsessed with this song now because yeah. of you. I'm obsessed. Well, and I love even the song. There's a little nod. Um, the, the guitar line is a little nod to Joy Division. Oh, yeah. New yeah. Dawn Fades. Um, so from Unknown Pleasures. But it's it's definitely a quote. Yeah. Like, I, rem- I heard much. it and I was like, wait, I know that. Wait, I know that riff. I know that riff. And yeah, you could. But it's not exact. It's just a... So I think she's really interesting as an artist because mm-hmm. she has, and she's not, uh, she's unabashed in her love of Cocteau Twins and other people. So mm-hmm. she's like, yeah, yeah, I love that. <laughs> but she's unique. Mm-hmm. And her voice is gorgeous. And I love that video too. It's weird. It's weird. There's people in, in cat outfits yeah. and they're drinking cocktails but it, but by the pool. it's a beautiful song. It, the song is so haunting. So and check, check yes. out, that's my recommendation is Great um, Sears Q. Ever Crashing is the name of the new album um, uh, by Kennedy Ashland. Love it. So um, what about you? You have a great recommendation this week. So... Uh, I think two weeks ago on um, we love the Graham Norton show. Mm-hmm. That's that 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 is our talk show. Is Graham Norton? Oh yeah. And the musical guest was Lady Blackbird, who I don't know how we missed Lady Blackbird. Uh, her her album came out a year ago, mm-hmm. uh, Black Acid Soul. So good. But uh, just two weeks ago, um, I think October twenty eighth or something like that, yeah. uh, the deluxe version Black Acid Soul came out, and it's two discs. Living. Uh, it, it's on. It's available on vinyl. Uh, uh, check. Out this album, Black Acid Soul by Lady Blackbird, who I guess I don't know how she was not on my radar. Yeah, I feel like I'd heard the name, but just didn't. When we saw her perform, I actually put the clip on. I don't know how. I don't think it's from the BBC, so I don't know how long the clip will be up. But oh. on YouTube, there's a clip of her performing on Graham Norton. Oh my god, we were floored. And we were first just, of all, her outfit when she comes out. Okay, she's she was recently <laughs> dubbed the Grace Jones of jazz <laughs> because she wears these. Fabulous outfits, runway outfits, uh, haute couture. Oh my god! And so she's wearing this amazing outfit. She sings. She has this voice. Her voice. I mean, the comparisons uh, to Nina Simone are not unwarranted. In fact, her first single was uh, Nina Simone's "Blackbird." Yeah, uh, her version of it, which is great. Oh no, she's great. But this this deluxe album, and it's rocking. This this deluxe album. I mean. 
again, they said Grace Jones of jazz, but really, she's soul. Like she's um, all over the place. Uh, R&B. Yeah. She's got her own sound. She, she doesn't have a genre. I she don't. really doesn't. She doesn't have a genre. And um, what's great about the deluxe version, I love the first album, like I said, that came out last year, but the second disc is, includes remixes and then some new singles, which uh, the, the song that I linked to from Graham Norton uh, is Feel It Coming. Oh, I which, love it. I love this song. Yeah, it's I so good. I love this song so much. And then uh, the other single that I just adore uh, is called Woman. Oh, that And great. we yeah. heard that, and we heard the lyrics and said, um, wait, what's she talking about? And oh, sure yeah. enough, she is She yeah. is a queer black woman. And this, It's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful song. It's, it's sexy. It's sexy, yeah, and, yeah. and uh, what this woman does to her oh, yeah, it's is totally very... Sexy. I oh, loved it. Yeah. I, and I love her voice. She is, yeah, new favorite Lady New favorite. I am sure. obsessed with her. So check out Lady Blackbird if you don't know her already. Like I said, I think I kind of missed, yeah. missed out last year. So. Great recommendation. So let's move to our visual art choices. Uh, looking. So this week, um, I am uh, recommending the art of uh, an amazing artist, uh, Paul Serrousier, a French painter who was a pioneer of abstract art um, and started uh, the avant-garde uh, Nabi movement mm. in France. It was a group of uh, young artists who were basically moving away from Impressionism into abstract art. Um, and they were very inspired, of course, by Cezanne and um, and the whole that whole kind of movement. Um, so what time period? So he's born 1864, dies in 1927. Oh, so, interesting. So really, you know, 19th century at the end of the 19th century, moving away from impressionism, moving away from well, loving Gauguin and Cezanne, mm-hmm. but moving into more abstract art. Ooh. And so. Um, yeah, they actually started what was called the Cloisonism movement. Mm. Um, so post-impressionist uh, mm-hmm. with bold painting, flat forms, mm-hmm. with contours. And you can mm-hmm. see a lot of that in his work. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just popped up. Again, he popped up on a site. We're going to hopefully be uh, talking with the person who does the site, who is also an artist. We're reaching out to her soon. Um, the cabinet of uh, we, the solar oh, plexus. We love that. We love that site. Oh, my gosh. Can't recommend it enough. Um, and so his birthday was um, the 9th of November, ah. 1864. And uh, what popped up was actually um, a painting called... Um, the Eleusinian Mysteries. Ooh, Eleusinian Mysteries? Uh, the Eleusinian Mysteries and, in 1888. Oh. And I saw it, actually, and I thought of you. Oh, um, my goodness. What a beautiful painting. And I was totally taken by it. So then I started looking at other pieces. So I've posted uh, several here, one of which is um, uh, that, um, the uh, Eleusinian Mysteries. Um, and then, um, and how do you say it? The... Oh, uh, the Danaides. The Danaides. So yes, I mean, you actually know more about that, but that that's uh, the, called the, the Danaides. Myth, they, they were the the fifty daughters of Danaeus, who um, forty nine of them killed their husbands. <laughs> so his his painting quite beautiful, considering they're all just walking down to get some water from the. Oh, source. that's because they're in the underworld, and they're punished uh, by uh, their punishment in the underworld is. They have to fill these jugs with water, but the jugs are always leaking, so they have to go uh, so back and forth to the water, kind of, uh, like uh, Sisyphus, Sisyphus, like rolling up the rock. Okay. They have to fill the jars of water, and the, the jars are always leaking, Oof. and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, but the painting is gorgeous. It's beautiful. You know, like, it's very, um, you don't see any of that. It looks very um, ethereal. Yes. And then another great piece, um, Celtic Tale. Oh, I Where you're it. in the woods. Through <gasps> the, oh, it's the other world. Yeah, so you're looking at through the... 
Oh, through the... I love that. Uh, just a reminder to our listeners, um, we, as always, in all of our podcasts and conversations, we always link to many, 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 many um, uh, pictures, photos, yeah. uh, video clips, music clips, etc. And so there are links here yeah. and embedded uh, paintings of this artist who all you have to do is scroll down. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, uh, the things we're talking about, obviously... You know, we can describe ad nauseum, but you you look at it. The, yeah. the best thing is, as we Looking, said, if you're yeah. if you're sitting in front of your computer, listen to the podcast and look exactly. at the same time. And then if you're if you're this. out listening, then when you get back, check out these these, exactly. these beautiful paintings because we're archiving a lot of this. And exactly. So, um, and then there's a great um, one called uh, libations: five figures in a mythical forest. Libations? Did oh. somebody say libations? Well, cheers to that. Cheers to that. I think I need a libation. <laughs> I'm gonna have a little sip right now <laughs> i'm not going to take my top off like this girl but um anyway that's a beautiful <laughs> painting it is Ooh. followed by the victory of krishna where Ooh, you see that's this early for a, a really, french artist to be yeah uh, drawing on yeah. um themes from india exactly interesting so i really and then at the very end of the, those paintings um i found a youtube um um clip of 152 paintings mm. by Paul Servicier and he paints in very different manners so there's mm-hmm. a 15 minute um, YouTube video with a, a ton yeah like I said 152 paintings Fantastic. so so check that out if you want to see more of his work um, beautiful just beautiful and obviously very influential and then um, you <clears throat> have to talk about <clears throat> An artist that we discovered well, so, in so, Rowell. You discovered. We saw well, the mural. I mean, but I was inspired by by uh, your article because uh, uh, on Monday, uh, Ryan Wildstar wrote a great article called uh, Roma Herbs Eterna Part 2, Traipsing Through Testaccio, <sighs> which was a delightful account Amazing of our... Day. It was actually our first full day yeah. in Rome yeah. uh, last month, which we've talked about before, but oh, but one of the artists that, that we encountered, and I mean, you, yeah. you described... Happened upon. We, we, we felt the aesthetic arrest when oh we encountered his work, uh, was we saw this beautiful mural... And I linked to the article where you can see the, the mural. It's called Jumping Wolf. And Jackie, our friend Jackie, took Jackie, an incredible, two incredible photos. Jackie Spaulding, who's an amazing photographer. Check yeah. check her out. Um, and her work is in uh, a lot of our recent articles and podcasts. And in that article, and yeah, I, I and in that article are her photos of this beautiful mural of the She-Wolf of Rome. Uh, the one who so nursed good. Romulus and Remus. Yeah. And that's by a street artist, uh muralist uh, named Roa, uh, capital R-O-A. And so we saw we saw this and Ryan wrote about that and yeah. we didn't know who it was though. Yeah, we didn't we didn't know. Uh, it was just this beautiful work of street art. So there's some sites that that you can find that very quickly. Well, you can. Um, well, <laughs> I, li- I linked to them. There's there's some great sites for street art finding the, the names of the artists and titles of mm-hmm. of murals and and graffiti art in your city. So uh, which I, which we linked to, uh, but. The artist Roa, who I, I didn't know, yeah. um, I wanted to see what else was out there. So sure wow. enough, he's a really famous Belgian artist. His work um, is amazing. And he actually has street art in major cities on five continents. Amazing. Five continents. Well, I can see why, though, because his work is not like... I mean, it is on another level. It really is. I mean, I, and we love street art. I do too. But this is like oh, he, even when we walked around the corner and saw a uh, jumping wolf. Jumping wolf. We was, were we yeah. were 
We all were. I, we saw it from afar, and I was like, "What oh, is that?" All four of us just stopped. And it's huge, it's too. Huge. It's so huge. And so I uh, had to kind of do a deep dive into Roa's work this week, and it turns out, and I, I love this. Most of his work, in fact, all the work I've seen, are their uh, murals, uh, paintings of wildlife. Mm. And specifically, animals that are native to the area where he's uh, painting. I love so, it. So, because they're all urban landscapes, it's often the case where the animals that he's painting are either endangered oh. or have either been driven out because of oh, uh, wow. Urban. urbanization, wow. um, or they're 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 still part of the landscape. But he he really wants to remind the city dweller about nature. That's amazing. And so he has this real environmental uh, 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 kind of impetus to his work. And I so can see it, yeah. I put in several examples of his work that you can check out. Yeah, uh, again, scroll below. Um, there's one. Uh, I love the chameleon. <gasps> love that. It is so... Uh, that owl. Yes, the owl oh that's my God. in Hasselt. That? Uh, I think that's Austria. Uh, he has another one. This odd little creature. It's a, it's a numbat. Ooh, I love the in numbat. In the city of Fremantle. Um, I love a good numbat. <laughs> and they're just his his work is Oh that so... owl the owl with oh, cranes. Yes, this one uh the the painting's called Vogelvelt. Oh, I'm loving and that it's an that. owl and swan and crane or heron. Heron. And oh, so it's just beautiful. I, I love that he's able to bring nature into the urban landscape. Uh, I put two vote two videos um because they're both short. I think one's about a minute long. He's painting a pangolin. Oh. Um, and the Don't other say pangolin. <laughs> and the other's like three minutes long. Careful now. Um, and a bunch of links because his work is really exciting. I, I, I love it. I, I mean, we both love street art, and he's just I think one of the exemplars right now. Yeah. Also, uh, he doesn't just do outdoor murals. So I linked to his artsy mm. page because he also does small scale art oh, that you can purchase. Oh, I didn't know that. So yeah, yes. so so well, he does these amazing. beautiful and and again, if, especially if you love um, nature photography, uh, animal painting, he, he really his wildlife. His I mean, I remember oh. we said the the hairs of the she wolf. It's like every single hair. Yeah. Yeah. Of that creature. Yeah. Was uh, painted and just yeah. In- his work's exquisite. In- incredible. So great recommendation. Uh, now let's move on to our uh, viewing. What have we been watching this week? Well, I have one recommendation of a movie um, that we just watched. A movie? I know a movie. <laughs> you know? Can you believe it? Um, so a movie we just watched with I found completely charming. Oh, me too. And it's a true story. It's called The Lost King, directed by Stephen Frears um, and written by Steve Coogan. Starring Sally Hawkins, Steve Coogan, and Harry Lloyd, who people may remember from uh, Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, but it's it's about um, Richard III, <laughs> and it's the story of, the true story of Philippa Langley, the woman who found Richard III's remains in a car park in London. <laughs> yep. And um, in what twenty twelve? Yeah, and and I remember when that I happened. I do too. Obviously, it was, a, it was kind of the like the big archaeological they were like, what? discovery of the year. She's not an archaeologist. Yeah, she just um, went and saw Richard the Third with her kids mm-hmm. and was kind of taken with his story. She wanted. To, she felt a real empathy. <laughs> she felt empathy for him, which 
I'm glad that she did because the the Shakespearean play Richard the Third, which I saw as a kid, oh, I don't know if you did, oh, I, of course, really paints him out as this you know he's this awful hunchback who is the last of the Plantagenet family and locks the two princes up and and kills the two and kills princes. everybody, kills, kills everybody. everybody. None of this is true. No. <laughs> That was all Tudor propaganda. All made up. Tudor propaganda. All made up, all slander. And, you know, so he's the last Plantagenet king. And really, he... He's way ahead of his time. She starts researching him well, also, in the film. I, I like that part of her uh, empathy for Richard was seeing on stage, seeing that this was a, a man with a disability. Mm-hmm. And so much of the text right. uh, kind of implies that, yeah. that that he's twisted outside as well as within. Right. And she, as someone with um, yeah. chronic fatigue syndrome. She had chronic fatigue syndrome. And was saying, I'm a person with, an, in, in her case, an invisible disability. Right. Was saying, I don't like this idea of that that he's being portrayed as as evil because he has physical limitations, and also that he he's vilified, but he's vilified through fiction. Yes. So, and then that fiction ends up being our story. I don't. I think probably most of, of us, us who have us. ever heard of Richard the Third, it's a, it's Shakespeare. Yeah. So that's what we know of Richard the Third, mm-hmm. and she starts this doing, Machiavellian. She starts yeah. doing her research. Finds out, well, we don't actually know all that. And, and then, what we do know is interesting. Right. And then she joins a society where mm-hmm. she, um, of followers of Richard, who, uh, you know, which is totally comical in the film. And very British. Yeah. This idea of these people meeting at a bookshop. Right. Who are all obsessed with Richard yeah, III. Yeah. And, and so she learns more about Richard <clears throat> and then f- finds out that his that he's not buried anywhere, which she doesn't know. Mm-hmm. So she sets out to find out where he's buried. And this is a true story of, uh, you know, Philippa Langley, and she, with her own ingenuity, mm-hmm. um, researches f- and then funds herself mm-hmm. to have this area where she thinks Crowd he fund. is yeah. crowd excavated. And lo and behold, and nobody believes her. They all think she's crazy. And the whole story, written by Steve Coogan, who yeah, we, we love, hilarious. he's and we brilliant. Love. And directed by Stephen Frears, who yes. also. But Sally Hawkins does an amazing performance playing uh, Philippa Langley. Oh, and she's so good. She's so good. I highly, highly, highly recommend I mean, this film. I mean, honestly. To, I found it joyous. It's so joyous. Such a feel. Well, first of all, how many feel-good archaeology films do we have every right. year? <laughs> and okay, re, you know, all the kings and what they have problems. But I liked that there was also um, dispelling... Yes, the the idea, you know, that he, he was this uh, yeah, monstrous. Uh, apparently, king. apparently, uh, the concept of innocent till proven guilty comes That's from Richard the Third. Richard the Third. Yeah, I, he which came five hundred years ago. Richard the Third came up with innocent until proven guilty. Thank you, Richard. Cheers to that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and Sally Hawkins' uh, performance. Oh. I mean, for me to see this. You know, uh, independent, uh, rogue scholar yeah. who's not accepted by academia right. and who's this, you know, amateur historian right. uh, with chronic fatigue syndrome. I mean, I feel seen. <laughs> but she still found him. She the, found him. Exactly. In the car park. I feel seen. Yeah, yeah. So what a joyous film. Yeah, yeah. And highly recommended. So what about you? What's uh, what's your what's on your cue this week? Well, a documentary that we have to talk about um, and that I also have a personal connection to through my hometown. Oh, right. So it's a a documentary called No Ordinary Man and it's a documentary about the life of Billy Tipton. Amazing. Billy Tipton was a jazz pianist and musician 
who, um, yeah, I, I have an interesting connection to him because uh, his story, which I'm so glad was finally told with respect yeah. by by an incredible um, team. It's yeah, a, really right, a team right, of right. writers, directors, scholars, activists, actors, artists, who uh, are talking about this story. Billy Tipton uh, uh, died in my hometown of Spokane, Washington, mm-hmm. which is a very... Uh, it's in Washington State on the, on the left coast, but uh, Spokane is in... Uh, it's on the other side of the mountains, and so it's basically it's a very conservative right. uh, Midwest town. And at the time, and when Billy Tipton died. This it was, was I think eighty nine. It was a big deal. So I was a child when Billy Tipton died, and yeah. this was oh I remember major it. news. I mean, it was actually major news in in, oh, the, in the U.S. nationwide, yeah, nationwide. But imagine in my hometown, yeah, yeah. Uh, this uh, you know semi famous jazz musician dies, right, and it. It was revealed, and he, and he was he, he, yeah, he no, was he, very yeah, well he was known. known. Yeah, yeah. He, he has albums. He's, he, yeah. he was a great artist, but uh, he was married. Uh, he had a wife, uh, two or three adopted yeah. children. Yeah, and after his death, uh, it was revealed that Billy Tipton was uh, assigned female at birth. Right, and. This was way before uh, in in the oh, there was no uh, popular discourse. Yeah, Certainly, yeah. there was very little about uh, transgender men or no, tra- no, transmasculine people. Not, this was not in the discourse at no, all. No, not at so, all. So, of course, all the headlines were tabloid esque and very yeah. sensational, yeah. Um, offensive. I mean, I remember as a kid, yeah, in Spokane. I mean, there were Billy Tipton jokes, I know. and it was so it was so awful because here you have this man who was trying to live his best life. And, and, I mean, his wife was on Oprah. Yeah, his time. his wife and kids went on Oprah, yeah. and and they they said he they didn't know. Well, that's what we, they said. We don't know all the details. Uh, but the film oh, sheds good. light on Great. his actual life, and what I love about the film is it's truly from a trans perspective. So uh, the directors, uh, Aisling uh, Chin Yi and Chase Joint. And this cast oh, yeah, great, of, great. Uh, like I said, academics and activists, including people we absolutely adore, like Jameson Green, Kate Bornstein, yeah, yeah. Susan Stryker, right. um, uh, uh, C. Riley Snorton, Thomas Page McBee. These, these are, in, in, in our community, these are some of the great writers and academics who are, who are themselves trans right. and who are able to approach this subject with sensitivity. Yeah. And I think one of And the, also talking about the artistry. The like, artistry. This is an artist. Exactly. This is exactly. an artist. Like, let's just stop for a moment and say, this man mm-hmm. lived his life as a jazz, a reputable jazz yes. musician, met Duke Ellington, yes. worked with famous jazz musicians. Was on the radio. Was on, I mean, yeah, famous. And, and, uh, uh Putting in perspective that this person was living their entire lives mm-hmm. the way they chose, and like they kept saying, in plain sight. In plain sight, he was chose to be famous. Exactly, and he he which would, would, he had a wife and quite, children could be quite dangerous in, for in, him in, in a place like Spokane that is not in, in, a, a progressive town in the fifties and sixties. Can you imagine? Oh my God! And so what I love about the, I just love this documentary. Yeah, it was I love everybody great. in it. They also have a wonderful cast of to, because they had to uh, reconstruct his life. Right. Because so, there's not that much known about... I mean, there's, there, there was a biography his, written. His life, life. And yeah. it's not like there's a lot of footage no. out there. So they have this wonderful cast of trans men 
who play right. uh, Billy Tipton yeah. and act out scenes I loved it. from the life of Billy Tipton yeah, and some it. great actors. Great actors. And I just love it. It's a yeah. beautiful film um, uh, that I definitely have a personal connection to about this incredible artist. And yeah, talk about uh, someone who, despite the odds, uh, chose to live his life his way. Yeah. Um, and there's also a, a beautiful scene. His son is in the film. The ending. Don't give it away. And I won't give it away. But that's great. His son is in the film, and when the documentarians come to to talk with his and son, it's, there's it's a real moment of moving. of uh, just a beautiful moment yeah. of recognition. Yeah. That he that that his son realized how important he was not only exactly to, to, to the whole community but, of people, but also to jazz musicians too. That, exactly. That, that, that he was this um, viable human exactly. being. Who had done something beautiful with his life, exactly, and that they also that his wife and his children loved him, yes, like adored him. So I, it's a beautiful, it's wonderful. I yeah. highly recommend it. At least check out the trailer. Yeah, I definitely. beg of you. Yeah, beautifully, beautifully done. So now let's move to our very unique and interesting tasting choice this week. Oh my god! Because we okay. all, we put in the title. All right. So explain. So um, <laughs> so yes, um, admittedly. It, it's there's more to it than it seems, but it's uh, our boxidized orange wine, which <laughs> I found at the grocery store um, here in Tirana. Um, it's was a box of wine. I, I, I've been buying this kind of wine that's like a Riesling from um, from Kosovo, which I've been enjoying, and they ran out of it. And so I went to the grocery store. And yes, I do buy box wine, and we do drink box wine, no problem, because it's not the they make great wines and put it in a box here. We live in Europe. Yeah, uh, box wine is, is not absolutely viable. You can have absolutely beautiful box wine here, and in America as well, for that matter. And we're Epicureans, but we're also vagabonds, so we live on the cheap. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I go to the grocery store, and I'm like, oh, my wine's gone. But I dig back on the bottom shelf, and I move a bunch of things, and there's this. Old dusty box, <laughs> and it's Tikvesh, which is a Macedonian wine producer and wine region. Tikvesh, Tikveshko Bello, which uh, we were drinking when we were in Skopje. We drink a lot of Tikvesh yeah, yeah. in, in Skopje. They're yeah. a fantastic winery. You can buy their wines in the United States and elsewhere. Um, so I'm like, oh, mm, but I'm looking at the box. It's dusty, it's dirty, it doesn't have a date on it. I'm thinking, this box has been sitting here forever. Do I dare? And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go for it. And one of the reasons that I said I'm going to go for it is, well, two of the reasons that I said I'm going to go for it is because Tikvesh wine is made from some really obscure grapes that are ancient. And one of them, um, Smedorevka, is very, very old um, and was probably uh, the height of, uh, was grown by Marcus Aurelius. Really? Yes. Um, so it, Whose statue we saw exactly. outside the Capitoline so Museum. That's Rome. one of the grapes wow. very few people know, Smedarevka, um, and comes from what is now Serbian city, um, Smedarevo. Um, but it, it, it's a unique grape. It's very high in acid, okay? And it, they usually mix it with, um, if it's on its own, mix it with carbonated water, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, like a spritzer? Like a spritzer, like an Aperol. Oh. Because it's, it, it's already, in its nature, slightly orange, okay? Oh, okay. So then the next grape um, that's in this wine, which I knew of, um, is um, um, Raxitelli, which is a famous grape because it's probably the oldest white wine grape on the planet. Really? 
So Roxitelli is, is it from, from it's here? from Georgia. Oh, from where, where originally wine making yes. was maybe invented? Georgia, probably uh, where the, well we know some of the oldest amphorae uh, okay. come from Georgia, and then the the winemaking six thousand years ago. Wow, like this is incredible. Yeah. So Georgia. So at, at one point, um, Roxitelli was the most produced or most widely planted grape variety in the world. Wow. Soviet Union in the 60s oh, course, and 70s of course. was so and they compared it to like a sherry. Okay. okay. Hey, I see where you're going with it. Right. So already these grapes when we were drinking them fresh were delicious. In Skopje very much um, a slightly orange in color, mm-hmm. very fresh, lots of acidity. They would blend them then with Riesling okay. to to balance out that acidity. Okay, so then you get a real balanced wine, but there was a slightly orange quality to them already. <laughs> so I thought, well, why not? What, what, I mean, it, worst case, it's completely oxidized, and maybe it'll be like sherry. <laughs> so I bought it, and sure enough, it was boxidized, as I would like to say. <laughs> oxidized in the box. Oxidized in the box. Who knows how long it was there? <laughs> Cheers. Um, I, I, we got it home. And I thought, oh boy, what have I done? It was five liters of box wine. So I poured it in a glass and it was bright orange. I mean, like, it looked like my grandmother's hair, my Irish grandmother's hair. (laughs) And I thought, oh boy, this is, I don't know, this is not going to work. It was so good. I loved that wine. It It was was, like delicate sherry. It was, was, I mean, it's funny to, to think that something that was sitting in the dark in the back of the shelf at the grocery store in Albania, in Toronto, Probably for Albania, like seven or eight years. Sitting there for years, yeah. untouched. Yeah. And that you literally excavated. It's almost like uh, uh, Philippa Langley finding the bones of Richard III <laughs> yeah. uh, hidden beneath the parking lot. Because you excavated I did. this beautiful, refined... I mean, it was gorgeous. Elevated. It was so good. We drank wine. it for like three days. like Longer. Yeah, it's I mean, five liters. <laughs> I know. We, we were... Dr- I mean, I, well, also, it, it was very lush and rich. It was so Flavors good. were all intact. Uh, aren't you glad I went for that wine? Wow. <laughs> I'll be here all night, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah, so, of course, we tasted the wine when we got it home... And then I said, "Okay, we're this. We got to build our meal around this." So, so now you're tasting. So I had to. I mean, we. I know we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but um, some of you may remember our longtime devoted listeners will remember because it was only <laughs> two weeks ago. Uh, I was obsessed with the uh, ravioli all'arancia in Rome, which yes. is the ravioli and orange cream sauce. Correct. Which Ryan ha- Wildstar has since reconstructed this beautiful dish. A couple times yeah, for me because right. I love it so much, and so yes, uh, you made we uh, we went to the we have there's an Italian market that has yeah. beautiful ravioli. Yeah, and it's you know ravioli stuffed with burrata and basil, and you. I said, well, we have to have a cream. An you orange created the orange cream sauce with the orange wine, and and finally, unlike last time, we actually got a good photo of the ravioli with the orange wine with the orange wine, and what a pairing. Ravioli, orange cream sauce, uh, topped with aged Parmigiano Reggiano. Um, uh, I did my best. You did. I mean, you were the you were the saucier 
uh, of the night. Oh, I was the saucier. Saucier? Oh, <laughs> I thought I was the dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> I've moved up to saucier. Maybe next week I'll be the uh, the sous chef. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows what will happen? I didn't know. The Susie sous chef. The Susie sous chef. Um, but yeah. anyway, it was you. You did. You created your orange cream, and it was so good. Right. And it paired. Because the oh acidity, my, the acidity perfect. with the creaminess of the burrata yeah. and the ravioli uh, was just a, it was a perfect pairing. Well, cheers to that. Yes. I, well, I have a little sip here. I did go back to the grocery store to see if they had another hidden box. Yeah. But no such luck. Maybe under the parking lot. <laughs> Brava. <laughs> Let's crowdfund a dig. Let's crowdfund a dig. Well, uh, thank you for listening. This has been our uh, Aesthetic Burrest podcast. And uh, check out all our books on bookshop.org. And stay tuned for a little outro. Cheers. Thank you for listening to our Aesthetic Arrest podcast. We'd especially like to thank Delmar Richardson for our intro-outro music and spectacular voiceover introduction, our producer, Andrea Ingstrom of LittleHabit.com, for her continued support and guidance, and for making the Epicurean Vagabonds happen. And also, a special thank you to all of our founding donors and monthly paid subscribers. The Epicurean Vagabonds is a reader-supported publication. To receive exclusive content and support our work, consider becoming a paid subscriber. A monthly subscription is only $5, roughly the price of a large latte, and allows you to comment on all our posts, receive audio readings of our articles, and special content like Ryan Wildstar's exclusive recipes and our ongoing series, How to Vagabond Like an Epicurean. Also, be sure to check out our bookshop at bookshop.org slash shop slash Epicurean Vagabonds. If you click on the books linked in any of our articles that take you to our storefront and purchase a book from our site or any other book on bookshop.org after visiting our bookshop, we receive 10% of the proceeds of your purchase as well as an additional 10% going to independent brick-and-mortar bookstores. Again, We thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed the Aesthetic Arrest podcast. Tune in next week for more recommendations. Cheers!